0: G'day humans, welcome to Safe Space for Dangerous Ideas and uh, whoo, who nelly, this is deja vu all over again for yours truly. Uh, The uh, visage of Joe Rogan in mind arguing about vaccines uh, feels a little close to the bone for me. Last year uh, I was on Joe's show for the seventh time and uh, we got into a little debate about the safety of COVID vaccines. And now we see that tiny, tiny, tiny little tidbit of an inkling of a hint of a sliver of a thing turn into its fully-fledged and uh, most gigantic Godzilla v. King Kong-style battle. What's going on is that uh, RFK Jr., the uh, nephew of President JFK, son of Bobby Kennedy, uh, has always been an, an anti-vaxxer. I think you can use that term with him. This is not someone who has a, a reasonable and measured uh, level of hesitation towards a very new vaccine in the the throes of a pandemic. This is a man who has been consistent for decades uh, about uh, in his belief, uh, his unfounded belief that there that all vaccines uh, do all kinds of horrendous things, not just vaccines. You know, 5G waves, uh, mobile phones frying your brain. All of that kind of kooky, granola, sort of northern California, northern New South Wales, depending on what country you're in, hippy-dippy, lovey-dovey, bullshit, crystal dangling, astrology stuff. He's, uh, you know, he loves it. He loves it. I've interviewed the guy on HuffPost Live, lovely guy, uh, delightful gentleman, and of course, a a titan of American politics just in terms of the dynasty that he comes from. Uh, You kind of have to take this guy seriously, which I think is why some of the, uh, the brouhaha has erupted. Uh, over whether or not we should quote-unquote platform people with beliefs that we disagree with and beliefs that can really be shown using the scientific method and reason to be largely wrong. Uh, You kind of have to platform a guy when his uncle was the President of the United States and he's polling 15%, which is not a bad number, in Democratic primaries against an incumbent Democratic President. So RFK Jr. is running for President... And he goes on Joe Rogan's show, I'll give you the background here, just in case you've either been living under a rock or, like me, are just too busy to keep track of all the ins and outs. Like, what the hell? Rogan and vaccines and RFK? What's happening? So what happens is he goes on Joe's show and he does all of his standard talking points about uh, vaccines And Joe, in his usual curious self, is interested in sort of probing and questioning, but doesn't come armed like you know an investigative journalist would to hold an accountability interview and you know pull him up on everything. So the guy basically gets a a platform, and a large proportion, a large swathe of the scientific and medical establishment think this is wildly irresponsible and uh, that RFK should not go unchallenged. But they're also uncomfortable with the idea of sort of debating him. Right. And the person who falls into, I suppose steps into, but accidentally then tumbles into a massive rabbit hole that, you know, will become the first line of his obituary now and has branded him in the public consciousness forevermore is a man who you hadn't heard of until three seconds ago, Professor Peter Hotez, who's a vaccine scientist and a writer. He has a book, funnily enough, coming out this September. Uh, so this can't, uh, This isn't going to hurt uh, book sales, I wouldn't imagine. Sure, he has to put up with the fact that his life is ruined and he has to go into hiding because crazy right-wing people are showing up on his doorstep uh, taunting him to debate RFK Jr. But apart from that, and isn't that funny that they're right-wingers? RFK Jr. is far left on this stuff. It's this weird horseshoe thing, isn't it? Where like you've got the kind of QAnon anti-vaxxers and then you've got the crystal dangling hippie anti-vaxxers, and they find common cause in each other's irrational insanity and detachment from the facts. Uh, so anyway, they, they show up at uh, Hotez's uh, 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 house, apparently, making him, needless to say, feel somewhat unsafe. Um, but this book that he's got coming out in September will presumably benefit. It's called The Deadly Rise of Anti-Science. Um, he's a professor of pediatrics and molecular virology, He's the Dean of the Chair in Tropical Pediatrics. I mean, he is big. He is big. Even as I speak, he's in New York meeting with the Prime Minister of India, the Prime Minister of India, about the delivery of COVID vaccines to uh, save Indian lives. So he's not a nobody. And he tweets about this exchange between uh, Joe Rogan and RFK Jr. He retweets an article And the article is entitled, Spotify has stopped even sort of trying to stem Joe Rogan's vaccine misinformation. That's the title of the article that he tweets. Not written by him. But he clearly condones this point of view. And it's true. It's true. At the time that Joe and I had our run-in that it was when the whole thing was exploding with Spotify And Neil Young was pulling his music from Spotify And Joni Mitchell was pulling her music from Spotify This wasn't directly because of my appearance on his show But my appearance was one of a number of flare-ups I mean, me being on the science side And the other guests being on the skeptic side Or shall we say, denialist side And this this kind of wave of people who he'd been interviewing Who Joe had been interviewing Peter McCullough and, uh, you know, people who who And Brett Weinstein People who thought that COVID vaccines were the real problem with the pandemic, uh, the real danger, the real threat um, that outstripped the, the threat of COVID itself. Um, that, was, that was the environment uh, in which Spotify said, OK, we're going to start putting warnings on uh, Joe's podcasts with links to accurate information about the pandemic and about COVID and about how vaccines work and about their risks. Um, and, you know, we're going to basically lean on Rogan to, to do better. Um, shortly thereafter, Rogan released his episode with Majid Nawaz. Uh, so that was probably the beginning of the end of that attempt, I would say. And I'm not saying that these conversations shouldn't happen. I, I, after that whole flare up with Joe, I went on a panel show in Australian, on, in Australia. I wrote an article for the Australian, Australia's main broadsheet newspaper, uh, defending Rogan saying, you know, if you want NPR or the BBC, uh, then go to NPR or the BBC. That's fine. Those things exist. But a human being in a free society ought to be allowed to have conversations with people he finds interesting and just because other people find those conversations so interesting that his audience grows a lot shouldn't suddenly mean that he isn't allowed to do what he likes to do anymore, and we're like, okay, you've gotten too powerful, too big for your boots now, so we're just going to enslave you and force you to say the things that we want you to say and talk to the people we want you to talk to. Fuck that. It's a, we're, We live in a free country. Joe can do what he wants to do. Uh, you know, he's not a... He's not out there intentionally peddling lies. He's a curious guy who has his own biases, don't we all? And who does his own who has his own little playground, his sandpit, in which he does his thing. And it's wildly popular. So that's that. Then the question becomes: how do the rest of us deal with the existence of this Uber phenomenon juggernaut thing? When it contributes to I guess the extremification machine That's already functioning in society Already being exacerbated by algorithms That encourage us only to Like and click you know, And comment rather than be informed Or be stimulated or find nuance This is my bag Obviously you listen to this show so you know That my mission in life is to try to counter the force Of those flare-ups and those algorithms And try to turn down the volume On hostility and antagonism And try to encourage people to understand each other To talk to each other and to reason with each other rather than screaming at each other from inside echo chambers and silos of misinformation. Um, I think Joe Rogan is broadly on the same page, on the same mission as I am, and I think a person like RFK Jr. is not. Um, And that's where the challenge comes. What responsibility do people on the scientific side of things you know, real experts, not me, not Joe, real experts uh, like Professor Hotez, what responsibility, if any, do they have to publicly refute and rebut and debate people who are throwing sand in the gears of science and understanding and reason, people who are seemingly willfully spreading Misinformation. Misinformation is such a clumsy word. Let's just say interpretations of data and events that aren't, that don't withstand scrutiny. Um, anyway, Hotes basically says, you know, he he tweets this thing saying, you know, Joe Rogan and Spotify have gone off the uh, over the waterfall. He he tweets this this article, and he adds his commentary saying it's really true, just awful. And from all the online attacks I'm receiving after this absurd podcast, it's clear many actually believe this nonsense. So, Joe Rogan sees that tweet and retweets it with a comment. Peter, Joe writes, If you claim what RFK Jr. is saying is quote-unquote misinformation, I'm offering you $100,000 to the charity of your choice if you're willing to debate him on my show with no time limit. Elon Musk, the owner of Twitter, one of the richest men in the world Then says, this just got interesting Oh actually, sorry, that's not only Elon Musk account That's a fake Elon Musk account with a picture of him Elon will come into this conversation In just a moment So Joe issues this challenge Peter quotes that on Twitter And adds his comment: Joe, you have my cell phone, my email I'm always willing to speak with you Professor Hotez has been on Joe Rogan's show Before um, Joe Rogan Quote tweets that saying, this is a non-answer. I challenged you publicly because you publicly quote-tweeted and agreed with that dog shit article. If you're really serious about what you stand for, you now have a massive opportunity for a debate that will reach the largest audience a discussion like this has ever had. If you think someone else is better qualified, suggest that person, says Joe. And Joe then subtweets, by the way, Peter Hotez, I saw this tweet that you deleted, and uh, Peter had deleted a tweet saying, in response to the debate challenge, the $100,000 debate challenge, saying, be serious, Joe, $100,000 is what you throw out for your hunting buddies on a weekend. A $50 million endowment, which you and Spotify and RFK Jr. can easily afford, not for me, but so we can continue making low-cost, patent-free vaccines for the world's poor, uh, would do, preceded by RFK Jr.'s public apology. Then Peter Hotez obviously thought better of that and uh, deleted that. So Rogan uh, says, uh, it's a non-answer, you know, uh, come on the show. And Professor Hotez, uh, referencing the tweet that he deleted, says, yes, Joe, I thought it was over the top, unnecessarily provocative, so I took it down right away. But I've been hurt, writes Peter, by the public and untrue statements that you and your guests have made about me being a big pharma shill, when all I do is make vaccines for the world's poor. I don't take big pharma money. And he follows up, uh, I'm happy to come on and clear the air. I respect you and your show. I don't want an adversarial relationship. I think we can work well together. To which uh, Joe sends uh, screenshots, a tweet from Professor Peter Hotez, which says, I'm quite concerned about the Elon Tucker link. Then fold in Rogan and RFK Jr., and it becomes a pretty formidable coalition with neo-fascist leanings. In some ways, darker or perhaps more dangerous than Trump, in my opinion. Awful. I just hope Team Biden is preparing. And he linked to Tucker Carlson's return to uh, television on the internet. Now, this was from back in May. This is from like four weeks ago. But Joe has dug this up, noting that he was cited by Peter Hotez a month ago in a tweet naming Elon and Tucker as a formidable coalition with neo-fascist leanings. And because Joe Rogan was name-checked in that tweet, Joe tweets, are you sure I'm not part of a coalition with neo-fascist leanings? Seems like that's what you really think or what you're projecting to the masses, says Joe. And in response to Joe Rogan's other tweet saying that Professor Peter Hotez has given a non-answer and that basically he has to, you know, shit or get off the pot, come on the show and do a debate with RFK or don't, Peter tweets, Joe, if you're serious about addressing vaccines and the fact that 200,000 unvaccinated Americans needlessly perished during our awful Delta BA1 COVID waves, including 40,000 in our state of Texas, because they fell victims to vaccine disinformation, I do want to have that discussion, says Peter. And Joe Rogan replies, again, I'm going to ask you very clearly, are you willing to debate Robert Kennedy Jr. on my podcast? And no response. At least, not from Peter Hotez. There is a response from Elon Musk, the real one this time, who says he's afraid of a public debate because he knows he's wrong. This is Elon Musk, the owner of Twitter, one of the richest men in the world, who has 144.2 million followers, accusing a vaccine scientist of being wrong about vaccines. So did that contribute to this gentleman getting harassed outside his house? It's hard to say. It didn't help. He has since been interviewed, and he says the scientist being tag-teamed and dogpiled on by Elon Musk and Joe Rogan and RFK Jr. all at once has been overwhelming, especially being stalked in front of his home. I invited Peter on this show, and completely understandably, he felt like this wasn't exactly the... (laughs) The time for it Hopefully I'll speak to him later Um, Not everyone's on Rogan's side in this Not even the people you might expect Mark Cuban, the billionaire Has criticised Joe Rogan for bullying Peter Hotez Um, Now there's been this unedifying spectacle Of other podcasters Who are much less good-natured than Joe And much more captive to uh, right-wing, genuine right-wing misinformation and bullshit who are piling on and raising the the offer to Peter Hotez as if, as if it's a financial thing at the end of the day, although he did tweet that thing about $50 million. So, you know, Dave Rubin, of course, predictably, just the, these, these leeches, these hangers-on, they know their audience, they know their crowd, it's red meat to the lions. Um, Andrew Tate jumps in you've probably heard of andrew tate um convicted or merely alleged rapist and uh uh human but what do you call it people smuggler um he was a former kickboxing champion who rose to fame for saying that women should stay in the home and you know pitching a very sort of i was going to say conservative but there's nothing conservative about it very reactionary uh and sexist and misogynistic attitude towards Agenda, Andrew Tate chimes in and says, I'll add 500K. But I also want to state a lot of the nerds who are anti vax now were total COVID pussies at the start. A lot of them even took the vaccine. I feel for Peter Hotez. I feel actually for Joe Rogan at the moment because I've had the same experience of like the with friends like these who needs enemies phenomenon. Um, You know, he's doing fine, he's a big boy he's wealthy, uh, he knows what he's up to, but it doesn't help to then have like Andrew Tate uh, or even necessarily Elon Musk editorialising about what I think Joe thinks is a forum for conversation rather than for editorialising. I do think that Joe thinks that a debate would be an even playing field in which everyone can be heard. It seems like... These other people, I mean, is there any doubt that Dave Rubin would do a or Andrew Tate would do a complete self serving schmozzle that was totally unedifying? So that's the question. Uh, do we engage in situations like this? One of the most prominent people saying that nobody should engage in such a debate has been Tom Nichols, who's a prominent journalist, a staff writer at The Atlantic. He has 680,000 followers. He's been piling on about this and you know is good at kind of presenting the mainstream left position on a lot of culture war issues. Uh, he retweeted Joe Rogan saying, I'm going to ask you very clearly again, are you willing to debate RFK Jr. on my podcast? And Tom Nichols jumped in saying, no medical professional should ever agree to do this, Never. It elevates the conspiracy guy, demeans the medical profession, and will only convince the kooks out there that RFK is right because a real doctor took the time to debate him. Never debate a conspiracy theorist, writes Tom. Which Joe Rogan then retweeted, commenting... That would be a great suggestion if you could assure that the industry you were representing wasn't completely captured by heartless monsters who have a history of some of the biggest criminal fines in human history because their deception has cost hundreds of thousands of people their lives. It would be a great suggestion if the industry you were defending didn't occasionally look at human beings as an opportunity to generate insane wealth regardless of the tragic consequences. But you can't do that, so maybe it would be a good idea to have a fucking debate, writes Joe. And one person who jumped into the breach to come to Joe's defence, or at least to come to the defence of debate on Joe Rogan's show, was America's leading sceptic, Michael Shermer, former guest on this show, not, not, so, uh, not so long ago, in fact. He's a presidential fellow at Chapman University, the host of The Michael Shermer Show, the publisher of Sceptic Magazine. He himself tweeted to his 220,000 followers. To be clear, he wrote, listening to the entire Joe Rogan episode with Robert Kennedy Jr., I found at least a dozen claims I think can be refuted. Mercury was taken out of vaccines in 2000 and autism rates continued to climb. 5G towers do not degrade immune systems. Cell phone energy is not high enough to cause brain tumours. But, writes Michael Shermer, I still think someone should debate him. I don't know the rebuttals to his many other claims, and I'd like to hear them in a public forum. I don't need elites like Tom Nichols, who I just quoted, who seems to think people are too dumb to think for themselves and need someone like him to tell them who to listen to. Very disconcerting to see this. But there's a lot of this going around. I think that Tom Nichols attitude is fundamentally the mainstream one on the left. That you don't elevate voices like this, you don't do them you don't give them the credibility of platforming them. You don't make the onlooker think that there are really two sides to this. I mean, I think if there was a phony debate where there was no hope of a fair outcome, and some people might say that Rogan's environment is not unbiased enough, But let's suppose you could get someone who genuinely is good at giving people a really fair crack of the whip and doesn't feel hugely invested in anything other than the truth. Someone, say, whose name rhymes with Bosch bleps. And that person could moderate a debate between Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Professor Peter Hotez. I don't think it would be fruitless. I don't agree with the Tom Nichols of the world that there's no point in elevating these voices. I mean, you're talking about a man who has 15% of the Democratic Party vote already against an incumbent president, and whose you know, father and uncle are some of the most important Democrats of the 20th century. Michael Shermer's uh, final tweet on the subject so far was to say, over the past 30 years, I've debated theists, creationists, ufologists, gun advocates, vaccine sceptics, climate sceptics and conspiracy theorists of all types. One reason Peter Hotez may not want to debate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on Joe Rogan's show is that it is a lot of preparation work. You need to be ready to answer every claim and many are obscure and difficult to answer, but that should not be a barrier. Roll up your sleeves and do it, Peter. It's a public service. I thought Michael Shermer would be an interesting person to try to clear my head about exactly what I should think about all this. I hope you, too, enjoy as much as I did this chat with Michael Shermer. Should someone go on Joe Rogan's show and debate RFK Jr. about vaccines?
1: Well, if they want to, they should do it. I mean, why would you pass that up? First of all, you get $100,000 donated to your favorite charity. I mean, why would you not want that? And now I think the number is up to like $600,000 or $700,000. Other people have kicked in. I think just to up the Well, end.
0: I mean the argue, the answer to the question of why wouldn't why wouldn't you want that is is that it it, it feeds into the illusion of a debate and like you get steamrolled by by such a, a fast-paced torrent of bullshit that you can't fight back. Yeah, but you can.
1: All right, so okay, there's a couple of factors here. First, let let's clarify. It's not a free speech issue in terms of the law. Anybody can talk to anybody that they want or not. So it has nothing to do with the first amendment or anything like that. And then it just becomes a personal choice, like what's the best strategy for disseminating truth? You know, what is truth? How do you know what's true? You know, what is the consensus? You know, what does the scientific community say about X, whatever that is, and how best to communicate that to the general public? So about 10 years ago, there was this thing called the backfire effect that merely discussing a false idea and refuting it would backfire on you because then people would not be able to process the counter information and they would just then believe whatever it is that they heard, the easiest explanation. That did not survive the replication crisis that started in 2008, 2009. Um, The backfire effect does not appear to be real. In fact, it looks like people are able to process information, counter-information to their original beliefs, and change their minds. If the information is presented in certain ways, if it's visual, if it's striking, it's clear, and if it doesn't threaten or challenge their core worldview beliefs... Uh, so, for example, if, if you um, are skeptical of climate change because you're a Republican and you don't know much about it, but everyone on your team says it's, um, you know, a bunch of baloney or it's a hoax or whatever, and you just kind of go along with that and someone says, well, what about this chart and this graph and so on? That can be hard to process unless you say you make it clear that you actually don't have to give up being a conservative or a Republican to believe in climate change. Um, then people are more open to changing their minds and accepting new ideas or, you know, different different facts, facts that counter their beliefs. Uh, if it's clear, it's obvious, they don't have to, like, give up their core identities, that sort of thing. So um, that's my initial reaction to that. I mean, if you really want to reach a lot of people, um, you know, Rogan's the place to go, 10, 20 million people will... I'm guessing 50 million people would watch this debate. I mean, where else are you going to get anything even remotely like that? It's astonishing.
0: Yeah, but maybe you don't want 50 million people thinking that there's a debate about the safety of vaccines. Maybe only some small cohort of that number are currently convinced by RFK Jr.'s position and believe the, you know, the established medical science.
1: Yeah, but if RFK was, was just some flat-earth nobody... And no one cared. Yeah, okay, that's probably not the best strategy. But the guy's running for president. He's one of the most famous people in the world. He has a massive audience. And polls show that millions of people agree with him. So don't you have a public duty to counter his arguments if you are a scientist? And I think we learned a lesson with Trump. Just ignoring the lies and hoping it goes away and people won't buy it doesn't work. You actually have to counter the arguments. And in my experience, mm. people are not that stupid. And in fact, not only are they not that stupid, they recognize that you think they're stupid, too stupid to hear the counter arguments. So basically they say, fuck you. You know what? I'm. You know, If you're not even willing to counter what this guy says, then I'm going to ignore you. And I'm going to listen to this guy. You know, that's the counter argument. What are you so afraid of? You know, why won't you stand... If if this guy is so easy to debunk, then debunk him. W- what's the problem? Now, mm. I listened to the entire three hours. Okay. And at least a dozen... He said, RFK um, Jr. said, at least a dozen things I know are wrong. And, you know, I posted some on Twitter and so on. Um, okay, but what if the 200 things he said in the three hours, you know, the I know a dozen that are wrong. Maybe there's two dozen more that are wrong. Maybe there's a dozen things he said are right. I would like to hear somebody that looks it all up and says, all right, here's what he says. And then here's the argument. Here's what he says. Here's the argument. Boom, 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 boom. What's the explanation? That's, you know, that to me, seems like a public service.
0: Yeah, I think that the the initial overture from Peter Hotez, who was this vaccine researcher who has uh, you know been the subject of so much of the conversation uh for not agreeing to go on Joe Rogan's show. I think his initial perspective was well I'll just come one on one on your show. I mean you have my he tweeted at Joe saying you have my number and you have my email address. Uh you know, I'll I'll come and talk about it, but he doesn't want to get in a head-to-head sparring match where the uh, the number of claims is is overwhelming and too hard to wrangle. I don't know what what I feel about that, but since we are, let, let let's just since we are, do have an opportunity where RFK is not in this room <laughs> to throw more sand in the gears, can you go through some of the dozen things that he said that you know to be untrue?
1: Okay, but first l- l- let's back up for a second. So I've done a lot of these debates. Um, one reason why he probably doesn't want to do it. Um, and a lot of people don't is because it's a massive amount of work in preparation. I mean I, I have spent days, weeks, months preparing for a debate with an intelligent design creationist or a Holocaust denier or a gun con- you know, anti-gun control person, uh, climate skeptics. I've done all these debates. And you really have to prepare because they have a certain set of arguments, that are slightly different from the kind of arguments that scientists make with each other. Um, but it's the kind of arguments that the public hears. So y- y- you can't count on the general public like looking up in some technical scientific journal what the answer is to this guy's claim. you got to have it ready, and, and this is part of your job. If you, know, you want to be a public intellectual and you want to rebuke or debunk Nonsense! You got to roll up your sleeves and do the work. It's just the way it goes. You can't be a public intellectual and go, "Yeah, well, I don't want to debate anybody that's going to require me to do the work and look up what he's actually saying, and then what the problem is with that particular study." I mean, RFK Jr. It was clear. He, you know, he had like this study and that study and this study back in 1973. You know, and, and Anthony Fauci published his paper back. You know, if you don't know that, then you look like an idiot. So, but, but you can do it if you, you know, if you would take the time. So, you know, he should either get out of the public intellectual business and just say, I'm not going to do this anymore because I don't want to do the work. And I'm just going to do a mainstream regular science thing or go on Rogan and debate the guy. Again, it's not a nobody. He's running for president. He's one of the most famous people. He comes from one of those famous families in America. I mean, what's the problem? Okay. You know, I don't get that. Okay. As for what he said, okay, so, you know, he he's long been a vaccine skeptic. And he initially, back in the 90s, was claiming that um, vaccines cause autism.
0: Can we reclaim the word skeptic, Michael <laughs> Schirmer, so that we don't call vaccine deniers yes. skeptics or climate deniers skeptics? It has an honorable tradition. I don't want to. I know. Well,
1: I'm a skeptic. I, I publish a magazine called Skeptic. I mean, yeah, of course. But, you know, so here's the, my line. Are you a global warming skeptic or are you skeptical of the global warming skeptics, which makes you a believer? Well, what does that word mean? Believe, you know, I don't want to believe things that have to be believed in to be true. I just want to believe things that are actually true. So how do we know? Okay. So you have to, you know, just, what is the scientific consensus and so on? All right. So you you asked me to go through a couple of these things. Okay. So the vaccine autism thing was debunked a long time ago. Um, The initial uh, response was in the nineties that the mercury in The vaccines, this in the form of thimerosal, Um, you know, sort of broke through the brain blood barrier and 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 caused these problems with development in these young children around the time that they got the vaccines. And it really looks like, unquestionably now, that it it was just a matter of timing, that autism comes online with children around the same time that most get their vaccine shots. So it's just pure chance. It's just pure correlation without causation. That happens all the time, you know. And Kennedy himself said, well, I can't just say correlation and assume causation. You have to prove it. And then he himself said, admitted to Joe, that, you know, they took the, vac- the mercury out of the vaccines in, 2000, in the year 2000. That's true. It was banned. Thimerosal was was taken out in 1999. So starting in the round of vaccines in the year 2000, they had no mercury. And then autism rates continued, not only continued, but continued to go up. Now, they're going up for a different reason because uh, of a classification process. That is, the recognition of autism spectrum as a um, diagnosis, the category got broader, So more and more symptoms get pulled into that category, so the category expands. It has nothing to do with vaccines or any other particular environmental, it's just uh, the reporting of it by physicians as based on the category in the diagnostic and statistical manual that doctors use to diagnose these things, um, that's what happened.
0: Yeah, there's an interesting case study actually, Michael, in Australia of of that phenomenon, which is that 10 years ago uh, a centre-left government introduced a national disability insurance scheme, which has subsequently become a a massively expensive but beneficial program to people living with disabilities, and uh, one of the conditions Mm. that it treats is uh, paediatric autism spectrum disorder. And uh, you won't be surprised to learn that now that you can get assistance and benefits for uh, having a (laughs) child on the autism spectrum, the number of Australian children, I think that 1 in 10 uh, Australian boys between the age of 5 and 9 are are on the autism spectrum, according to the National Disability Insurance Scheme or some extraordinary statistic like that. I'm not saying that people who are on it are scamming the system, I'm saying that uh, if you can avail your child of any benefits that they can get, such as uh, you know, uh, you get a case number, and then down the track they may be eligible to do their uh, their tests in a private room instead of in the public room. They may be given more time on essays and so on. Uh, you'd be crazy not to take every advantage that you can get if your if your child is exhibiting some sort of either attentional uh, deficits or some other behavioural issues. Uh, so yes, the classification thing, has we've literally witnessed it in the past 10 years in Australia in real time with some kind of doubling <laughs> or tripling of the, the number of, of cases. There are also, I mean, people anecdotally say that more people are suffering from being on the autism spectrum and maybe there are issues with devices, maybe there are issues with social media, maybe there are issues with I don't even know what it could be. But just to loop back to the debunking of the uh, of the vaccine link... Isn't it the case that the initial link between autism and vaccines was literally a fraudulent study conducted yes. by a British charlatan who made it up and forged it?
1: <laughs> yeah, well made it up. Well, so his uh his research was was quite was quite flawed, possibly probably fraudulent to a certain extent. Um, you know, he was working for a vaccine company. Um, to find some link between vaccines and, well, no, sorry, not vaccine company, lawyers suing a vaccine company um, to find some link between vaccines and something, anything that is bad. And then the autism thing came up. So he came up with this leaky gut idea that the vaccines cause the gut to be leaky and that breaks the blood-brain barrier, if I remember this exactly, and that causes brain damage of some sort. Something like what lead does um, to development in brains. Uh, But in this case, it doesn't look like. I mean, mercury in massive doses would cause um, mental retardation. But the doses were very low. And in any case, as I said, they were taken out. So, and and interestingly, on Rogan, you know, Kennedy made a, a reference to the moving goalposts. He himself does the moving goalposts. So he and he himself, because Joe, you know, Joe, Joe doesn't know a lot of this stuff. So he didn't, you know, he didn't know about the mercury being taken out of the vaccine. So Kennedy says, well, you know, they took the mercury out of the vaccines in 2000. You know, and Joe's like, oh, well, then I thought you said mercury was the problem. Well, no, it's aluminum, aluminum is the problem it's like well wait i thought you said mercury is the problem well aluminum is also a toxin and it's the the rate at which they give or the order which they give the vaccines and so on that's the moving goalpost the answer is always going to be vaccines are the problem and autism is the is the result and so if you
0: if you refute that then we're going to find some other pathway Okay,
1: that's just not how science works. And when you right, say so that, that
0: RFK complains about moving goalposts, what is he? What 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 instance of goalpost shifting is he talking about? He he's talking about how like the CDC
1: or whoever classifies these things and they change their definitions and they expand. Like the definition of autism is an expansion, expanding classification system. So they go, well, that's moving the goalposts. Well, that's how science works. Is you're constantly updating well so you're you're updating your priors and changing your credence based on something in a bayesian way and that's normal like with climate. the other interesting thing about the about the rogan kennedy thing was then rogan asked him about climate change know so on the one hand he's going we should be skeptical of the experts don't believe the you know the science you know they get it wrong and they're corrupted and they're In their, um, you know, bias because of money and so on, and then Joe asks him about climate change. He's like, "Oh, no, no, no! Climate change is real. Global warming is real. It's human caused. I accept all of it." And it's like, "Why do you accept it? Because the science, the experts all tell us." It's like. I, th- I thought you just said the experts are not to be trusted. I thought that was that was pretty revealing, ok? So, you know, people pick and choose their battles, right? And for some reason, he totally accepts all the climate science with no skepticism. And as you know, there are plenty of skeptics, climate skeptics.
0: I'm also skeptical of them. so i guess I guess the difference there would be to be as generous as possible, Michael, to, to RFK would be that there's a, a strong vested interest in the experts misleading us uh, in the field of drug companies because there's so much money in drug companies and in annual vaccinations and so on, whereas there doesn't seem to be such a, a cabal of sinister forces uh, directing us to believe in climate chaos, although I suppose people who are climate skeptics believe that there are.
1: Well, actually, no. Um, I was surprised by his response about that because... In fact, the standard conspiracy theory about climate science, scientists accepting grant money and funding from whoever is that they are biased, that they are they are tilting the data to go in a certain direction because they can't get grants otherwise. You know, if if you're going to publish a study that showed that, you know, climate change is not human caused or whatever, caused by volcanoes or sunspots, no one will fund you. That's the argument. So it's the same argument. It's the exact same argument he's making about big pharma. Okay, so now to to his defense here, um, you know, because I kind of got hammered on Twitter about this, um, you know, oh, that's just a crazy conspiracy theory. And he's a crazy, loony, kooky conspiracy theorist, so he should not be debated. Well, hang on. (laughs) That's a pejorative. uh, There are conspiracies, lots of them. We know this. And a conspiracy theory is just a theory about what might be happening, whether it's true or not. Some of them are true, some of them are not. So a conspiracy theory that turns out to be true is just a conspiracy. And these do happen. And so, you know, big tobacco lied about the carcinogenic nature of tobacco for decades. And we know this. We have the paper trail. You know, our you know our, our product is doubt. You know, the jury is still out. That whole argument about, you know, the science is not clear. The jury is still out. We need to do more research. Mm. That was all invented by PR people working for big tobacco companies. And then chemical companies took up that cause. When people started um, having home fires due to smoking in bed and falling asleep on the couch and your cigarette falls and couch catches on fire or whatever. There was a lot of this in the 70s and 80s. The The chemical industry's response to this, well, I should say the larger industries, was that the problem is not the cigarette. The problem is that flammable materials like carpets and drapes and couches and bedding should be chemically retardant you know, chemical retardants. And so the chemical industry you know, pushed this idea you know, that that's the problem, right? And it turns out um, Robbie Kenner did the the legwork on this in his film on this, uh, Merchants of Doubt, yeah, based that's a on Naomi's book, well, The right? Merchants of Doubt. Yeah, I'm in that. Yeah. So uh, it's not only the same arguments, it's the same people. Mm. The companies, these chemical companies hired the same people that the tobacco companies hired for PR to lie, to basically, you know, give this idea that, you know, the science is not out. The jury is still out. You know, what jury? Where? There's no jury. What are you talking about? These Hmm. are just, you know, rhetorical lines that people use. Okay, so, you know, when RFK Jr. talks about this, he's right big pharma, big chemical companies, big industries, they do lie. They do conspire to cheat the public and capture the regulatory system so that they can make more money. They do this. They do it over and over. They've been caught over and over and over. And it's just naive to think that, you know, this just doesn't happen with, you know, whatever your preferred arguments are. That doesn't mean he's right about everything. It just means like Maybe we should listen to this guy and check out what he's saying. Now, maybe half of what he says is wrong, but which half? How about somebody knowledgeable that, you know, looks it up? Okay, you can do this. All right. I mean, there are sites that do this, that fact check things that people like RFK Jr. say. But the average person doesn't know where to look. You know, Rogan is this—this is the way— this is the media now. It's podcasts. It's yeah. it's where the action is. That's where you got to go. Kennedy himself said this. He said Trump won in 2016 because of Twitter. He knew how to use Twitter, and then he made this great reference. My uncle understood this back in 1960. Um, you know, with television, it's like your uncle. Oh. He's talking about JFK, right? Yeah. His uncle, yeah. John F. Kennedy, right. You know, the television <laughs> was the new medium. And then Twitter, you know, was the new media. Now podcasts are the new media. So he's doing podcasts because no one will talk to him on the, you know, on the legacy media. They won't talk to him. They won't debate him. They won't host him. They, nothing. And it's hmm. like, yeah, come on, man. Just if you, I would go on and do it, but, uh, you know, I'm not a medical expert. So it really needs to be a vaccine person, you know, like the guy who <laughs> will yeah. do it. Now maybe yeah. he personally doesn't want to do it, it's not his thing, maybe he just doesn't feel comfortable in engaging with somebody in debate. I, I understand, it's hard to do. It's very stressful, I've done a lot of these. Uh, you know, I mean, I get worked up, it's, you know, it, it's not like giving a hmm. speech. When I go on Rogan by myself, it's a no-brainer. I don't have to prepare, I just, it's just big fun, we sit there for hours, yakking it up. But like the one I did with um, Graham Hancock, the uh, alternative archaeologist about, you know, who really built the pyramids and all that. He's not an ancient alien guy. He's a different different thing. But, you know, I prepared for days for that. I mean, it was a lot of work, and it was Mm -hmm. really stressful. I mean, it was a tiny little studio. It was really hot. And there's like five of us in this tiny little room. this old studio in the valley. It was in, in the summer. It was hot. I think the air conditioner went out. I mean, it was really stressful. And, and I thought, man, it is so much easier to just go on and just yak it up with Joe by yourself. Of course, I, I get that, you know, but this is what they wanted to do. And if you're thinking, well, Joe Rogan should be like 60 minutes where he has, you know, two people and he's a team of researchers and that's not what he's doing. That you don't go to Rogan to get sixty minutes and you got this journalist and that journalist and you got this expert and that expert. That's not what he does. And if you don't like it, then don't watch.
0: Well they do, but I mean I don't think that I don't think we in the media, even the alternative media, can take a purely uh uh popularity is is the ultimate justifier of the integrity of what we do line. You know, there are lots of things that are popular, pornography, that I wouldn't regard as being respectable <laughs> <laughs> lines okay, of work, right. you know what I mean? You, you, you could, and there are lots of things, there are lots of news outlets from the edge of the legitimate like Fox News and Newsmax and the One America News Network that are uh, you know adjacent yes, to yeah. spouting bullshit that a lot of people like to consume. So I'm not sure that it's convincing to me from a journalist perspective to say, well, lots of people like this format, therefore it's a it's a format that we should condone the The question for for me is, given that it does exist, then I suppose you're sort of pragmatically forced to reckon with its existence. And I mean, yeah. So th- just while we're while before we leave the subject of what RFK gets wrong specifically about vaccines, is there anything else that you want to flag that you noticed in that three-hour conversation other than mercury in vaccines that we can just knock on the head? Oh well,
1: the, of course, the cell phone. I. Uh the 5G towers, cell towers, cell phones, you know, people that hold their phone up, their cell phone up to their ear, they get more tumors and cancers on the right side than the left side or they get more glioplastomas in their brain, he actually said that. It's not possible, it's impossible. In fact, the energy from... this has all been researched very thoroughly. The energy coming from your cell phone, just holding it up here, doesn't even go through your... barely goes through your skin, not even through your skull, into the neural tissue to cause um, mutations and then a tumor and so on. It's not possible. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know where Where? he's getting this stuff. Well, I do know where he's getting this alternative sites. But, you know, this this is just bullshit. This has been debunked. Okay, so that... Oh, and then he had a whole thing about frogs changing their gender because they're soaked in some kind of chemicals, hormones. You know, he's kind of rambling about... You know what they got off on trans for a little bit and then you know why are there so many trans oh because our you know our our society's in a wash in chemicals and children are just soaked in chemicals and it's like okay this is just you know crazy but all, all of that you can look all that stuff up there are sites that do that and so I kind of feel like if you want to be a public intellectual um, you can't just expect the average person who has a real, a real life to look all that stuff up and you know go on rogan and say
0: here's the hundred things he said here's why he's wrong
1: you know that's our job
0: i mean part of isn't part of the problem here though that there's a there's a tendency we do love a we do love an explanation and some of these things don't necessarily have clean explanations like what's causing the rise in transgender Young people? I mean, that is a very, very complicated sociological and cultural uh, question to answer. It's a lot easier to say, well, they're, we're awash in chemicals, so now we're turning into gender swapping frogs. <laughs> yes, like that right. has a certain, at least a certain <laughs> a cl- cleanness and tidiness to it, you know? Well, how would you refute that? I think we do have a, a reasonable explanation when you separate two
1: different things. One is gender dysphoria, which has been around for a long time. And these are young children that feel uncomfortable with the sex that they are, and for whatever the reason is, it's not like they're in the wrong body because that's a meaningless concept. You are your body. There's no ghost in the machine floating around up there, and you got the wrong body. Uh, but for whatever reason, a mix of hormones in in utero or early development or whatever, and they're really uncomfortable, and they feel uncomfortable from the earliest memories. And that's been around for a long time. The other concept is what's called rapid onset gender dysphoria, R-O-D-G, and uh, R-O-G-D. And that's new, that's only within like the last decade. And that does not happen to young children, that happens to teenagers, mostly teenage girls, who are uncomfortable with their bodies. And then they're going through puberty and then they have this kind of social contagion. So this is the social contagion hypothesis that I think is correct, where, you know, there's a huge spike, like a 2,000% increase in identification uh, of being trans. And there's like entire classrooms where like 20%, 30% of the girls in the class are trans. And it's like this is not, this is different from this other thing. So the one may have something to do with whatever chemicals or genes or in utero hormones or whatever. The other one is purely social. So you can, if you separate those, you go, oh, okay, I see these are two different things, and, and, mm. and so on. So that helps.
0: Not that dissimilar from the autism conversation. In fact, that there's probably there's clearly some cohort of people who have uh, a biological uh, uh, difference where they're they're autistic or they're on the spectrum, as we say in a in a severely debilitating physiological way and then you have this cohort of people who are struggling and for whatever reason we're sort of putting the two groups in the same pot maybe a similar thing is happening with trans people
1: i think so in part because also we don't know the cause of autism there's obviously probably a genetic component early childhood in utero who knows i mean we just don't know and it's also not one thing. You know, there's a spectrum. That's why it's called literally called a spectrum. I mean, you have Temple Grandin on one end that, you know, has a PhD in animal behavior and writes books and gives TED Talks, and she's autism. And you have Elon Musk, who says he's on the spectrum. Okay, well, you know, the most successful, richest person ever. Mm. And then you have people who, you know, can't even talk. They, you know, they're, they're nonverbal. And they they have their self stimulation, and you know they're just unfunct- They can't function at all. They need twenty four hour care and so on. So you can't just say, well, there's one thing that causes that entire spectrum. I mean, it's like saying this is the cause of religion or government or whatever. It's just it's too big a category to have any one cause. Right, so, right. and where yeah. we don't know what the cause of something is, then everybody and their brother has a theory. Okay. That's the
0: problem. Yeah, that's uh, well. It's part, partly what I was pointing to—that it's easy to have answers when people don't have answers, and that's <laughs> right, part of the appeal yeah. of yeah, RFK exactly. Jr. It's also part of the appeal of Donald Trump, who has great, clear, simple answers to complicated things. You know, build a wall to fix the immigration uh, crisis, stop uh, people from stop Muslims from coming into the country to solve the problem of terrorism. Uh, you know, these are nice, comprehensible uh, punchlines, aren't they? And I wonder why you think we're more susceptible. To those kinds of punchlines now than we have been, or are we? Like put this way, I'm is not, RFK Junior.'s conspiracy no. mindedness an asset or a hindrance to his campaign?
1: Oh, I think it's a huge hindrance. His own family disowned him. I mean, he's not. You know, the Kennedy family is old school liberal. They're more like Biden. Um, and he, so he's kind of got off the off the deep end with the conspiracy stuff. I, I, I mean, he's not going to make any inroads against Biden. It, it, we're going to have Biden Trump probably. Unbelievable, unbelievably. I just really can't believe that this is where we're at. I, you know, that's the interesting question to me is, how is it we got these two guys? You know, I mean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was saying to a friend the other day, this is this does not reflect well on the United States presidential selection system. That these are the two individuals who you've managed to choose.
1: No, it doesn't. I don't know how how much you follow NBA basketball, but you know, back in the '80s, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson were the two big stars, and the NBA Finals was that it was the, those two guys. And then so Andrew Yang. Tweeted the other day, because the NBA finals were just on last week. It's like, this would be like the NBA finals in 2023, still starring Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. <laughs> it's like, what? These two guys again?
0: Well, <laughs>
1: come on. <but> hang on. <laughs> we don't have anybody new,
0: young. <laughs> sure, but Larry Bird and Magic Johnson were once great. Neither of these individuals were ever, yeah. <laughs> were ever at the very top of their field. Uh, well, that's true. There's there's that also. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I I do have some thoughts on that. I, I, I do wonder if maybe it's such a horrible job where it doesn't really pay that well compared to, you know, if you worked in tech or Wall Street or something like this, you'd make, you know, orders of magnitude more money. And, you know, everybody hates you. Half your own party hates you. The other party, they completely hate you. you know, it's, it, it's probably a miserable job. And so the talent goes elsewhere. That's that's kind of what I think. You know, there's no more Thomas Jefferson's and and you know, these great minds, Adams and uh, you know, it's like, mm. where are those people? And you know, Lincoln, whatever. I don't know. They're just I think they're just few and far
0: between now. Don't you think they'd get weeded out by the selection process anyway? Probably. Yeah. I mean look at Andrew Yang. You just mentioned Andrew, right? Andrew's a smart guy. There's no reason why he wouldn't be president. I mean, there's, to an outsider, there are two glaring things about the, the US presidential system, if I may. One is primaries, uh, you know, rather yeah, than having yeah, yeah. the party itself select who, who the internal politicians believe is the best to lead them. Because sometimes people who actually work with individuals every day can know them better than uh, a person who's just yeah. watching them on television in three debates and occasionally, you know, watching the 24-hour news cycle yeah. about them. And the other is the the primary, uh, so I'm talking about there being, you know, party primaries. And then the, the other is just the, the order of the primaries, uh, you know, being stuck in this New Hampshire, Iowa, South Carolina nexus where, it, the, you know, you're just selecting for the kinds of people who are good at relentlessly meeting people in diners and being phony with them <laughs> instead of, you know, any content. Yes. It's, it it right. seems weird that that's right. the, what you're selecting for day after day after day of, hitting the road and giving stump speeches and pretending to give a shit about some trucker, you know, like that's not, (laughs) these aren't the same qualities as you want out of a president. These aren't the same things. It's it's a skill set, but it's not the same skill set you you need to do well in the White House.
1: No, no, it's embarrassing. Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, So on the question of conspiracy thinking, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that it's a bad thing for a candidate at the moment to have simple conspiratorial answers to things. In some ways, like I wonder whether... Like RFK Jr.'s never had a moment yet. He's been in the public eye all his life. He could have... I mean, has he, has he run before? He could have. Has he ever made a splash before? Has he ever no. gotten this much attention before? I, I feel like this is a moment where people... Where people are more receptive to believing that the elites have failed us and institutions can't be trusted, and we need someone to come in from the outside who has, uh, you know, who can see through the bullshit and can bring a, well, a Trump swinging it. sledgehammer to the vested interests. Yeah, and, Trump did that. Yeah.
1: I don't know if uh, RFK has the personality that Trump has. No. Um, you know, he's, of course, is the voice, which is difficult to listen to, and he's. But, but just by temperament, he's much more droll. He's more like um, Jeb Bush, <laughs> you know, kind of low <laughs> energy. Let's say, please clap. <laughs> you know, yeah. And uh, you know, Trump took advantage of that. You know, and, and he—I don't know. I think that's part of it as well. He's a little too cerebral. You know, he's—he was on with with uh, Jordan Peterson also earlier last week, and uh, you know, pretty intellectual. You know, he's talking about. Reading Camus and the Existentialists, and you know the average Trumpless, you know, viewer is not going to go like, "What? What's he talking about? Camus? Mm. <laughs> the Existentialists? What?" Uh, I just don't think that's going to fly. Right. I don't know. And his father was was quite a campaigner, as was his uncle. They were great campaigners. You know, Trump is a good campaigner. I mean, I, I'm not a Trump fan, but you know, he can sit there and talk for three hours mm. and be entertaining. Mm. He's funny. That's hard to do. Not many people have that temperament, I
0: think, and I don't think Kennedy has that. No. I mean, his dad was incredible. Uh, you know, if people haven't seen the footage of the night that Martin Luther King was uh, assassinated and uh, Bobby Kennedy was oh, scheduled to give a, very a speech oh, in awful. front of uh, you know yeah. a, a huge crowd of, uh, of African Americans and security didn't want him to do it and they didn't know yet that, uh, uh, that Martin Luther King had been shot and Bobby got up there anyway and he broke the news to them. And continued with this speech. I mean, I'm getting chills on my spine just uh, remembering the video of that and thinking what well, yeah. that moment must oh, have been I, like. But talk yeah. about having big balls and, uh, and, and, and the brain to pull it off. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible yeah. guy.
1: So, yeah, there's a good Netflix documentary. Uh, I think it's Robert Kennedy for President or Bobby Kennedy for President, something like that. It tracks the whole campaign. It's really quite
0: moving. Oh, cool. I'll check it out. I haven't seen it. So in the unlikely event that RFK Jr. were to become president, what impact would that have on science or on culture?
1: Probably not much because there's only so much that the president can actually do. I mean, he can make decrees and try to sign bills or whatever, but he can't, you know, veto bills, but he can't really do much. Probably not that much other than because he's already perceived to be fairly fringy, even if he got in there and said on day one I'm going to do this. Actually, usually they can't do it, much of anything. You know, it's the same thing on the other side. I mean, Trump, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to build that wall. Well, you never did. <laughs> you know, because you can't do that stuff, right? You know, the same thing with Obama. You know, I'm going to close Gitmo. I'm going to pull the troops out. You know, none of this happened. You know, I'm going to, you know, with nuclear weapons. We're going to go off of the, you know, no, we're going to go no first use, no first strike you know, which has been our policy forever, you know, that we, we will strike first if we feel we have to. And NATO has depended on that. And so when Obama campaigned, he said, I'm going to ban no first use. I mean, we're going to go no first use. That's what we're going to do. And he didn't do it. And then later it came out. Well, all the NATO allies said, you can't do that. We, you know, we need this sword hanging over Putin that if, you know, if he does, if he invades one of the NATO countries, we're going to nuke him. We, he has to know we're going to do that. Right, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, okay, so they say one thing when they're campaigning, but usually they can't do very many of those things.
0: What's the end game then for anti-vax superstition? Like are we is it going to get are we at peak anti-vax at the moment or is it just going to keep is the roiling mm-hmm. competition of uh, our for our attention through social media and alternative media going to reach such a fever pitch that it just gets worse and worse?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say because again, the moving uh, goalpost, the moving end line here, you know, like it now looks like closing the schools um, and, and protecting children was unnecessary. Even masking children was probably completely unnecessary. You know, there's all these studies coming out in the last couple of months showing that, you know, these kids are now two years behind in math and reading and writing and so forth, English and whatnot. Why? Because you can't learn over zoom when you're five years old, six years old, seven years old, it just doesn't work. And, um, and it, it is probably completely unnecessary to do that because the children were largely unaffected by the, by the virus. And it's looking more and more like it's mostly the people with comorbidities over, you know, obesity, cardiovascular, diabetes, and so on that were most affected, you know? So people now looking back on that going, well, You know, the experts, science, said X, and it doesn't look like that was correct. Now, on the kind of charitable side, I feel like nobody really knew for sure, so erring on the side of caution, precautionary principle, it's probably a reasonable, rational uh, position to take. You know, close the schools, close restaurants and so on, Uh, mass mandates and whatnot, just in case. It turns out it's like Ebola you know where like 30% of everybody dies you know if you, you want that on your record you're a politician no public policy expert no so you you side on the air of caution uh, and it turns out that you know th- that that's not a cost free decision to make um, there are consequences to making those kinds of decisions or cost to that Same thing with climate. I mean, this is Bjorn Lomborg's whole point. You know, we spend trillions of dollars to lower the global temperature by half a degree by the year 2100. Well, okay, you know, there's an argument to be made there. But what else could you have done with the trillion dollars to lift people out of poverty and malaria, you know, mosquito nets, potable water, vaccines, you know, supplements, you know, it's just... (laughs) <laughs> there are no solutions, there's just trade-offs. You know, this is Thomas Sowell's argument. There there's no utopian solutions to things. Mm. There's just trade-offs. You want this, you're going to give up that. Well,
0: no, but it, I mean the, in the case of climate chaos, the the precautionary principle also comes into a into effect where if there's a five or ten percent chance of getting runaway climate change, or of uh, you know seriously devastating and irreversible uh, impacts on the monsoon, and then you have the huge refugee flows that come out of that, and the political destabilization that happens in Western countries yeah. simply as a result of having to absorb. More refugees, or having to deal with a GDP, a negative GDP growth year after year, as we constantly try to shore up New York from bigger storms <laughs> and Miami from flooding. Just the sheer, the stress that that's put that puts on our democratic systems. How how many percentage points do you want that likelihood to be to nonetheless want to invest a lot of money now in avoiding that? You know, five percent is that too risky? Two percent, ten percent? The end of liberal democracy as a result of yeah, you know, large spread chaos. Well,
1: there there are, there are people that do these calculations. Nordhaus, the economist Nordhaus, did this these calculations on this. He won the Nobel Prize for this. You know, it's it, you can't do everything, and so everything has a cost. And we should do something about global warming for sure. But you can't do everything sure. at the cost of doing nothing else for the other problems. You know, there's like 20 different problems we should be addressing. And so, you know, you, you just have to balance it out. You know, I, I just think that, you know, the Greta Thunbergs of the world, it's, you know, if we don't do something in the next 10 years, then we're doomed. Well, you know, I, I don't see the evidence for that. I mean, I think it's a serious problem. We should address it, like poverty, you know, and other issues, communicable diseases. Um, the next pandemic it's coming, it, it'll come. Yeah. So we should work on all those things. I don't know. It's, you know, th- these are hard problems, but back to th- where we started really open conversation, stop the censorship, stop this business of, you know, no one should talk to anybody else. Like if you personally don't want to go on Rogan fine, don't go on Rogan, you know, but if you're a public intellectual and you want to do something about the problem, this is where you have to do it. That's just the world we live in now, you know. You, you you can't go on CNN for 6 minutes to make your case. That's just not where the action is anymore. It's over. There's a new media now. That's you just have to do that. So do it. <laughs> What's the problem? Right? And again, this isn't like the flat earthers. You know, even though maybe you could make the case that RFK is just as wrong as the flat earthers. I don't think that's the case, but but even if it was, you know, he's running for president. And, and we know from polls that tens of millions of Americans believe what he says. Okay, so maybe he should be refuted publicly, loudly, on the biggest platform ever. Maybe
0: that's not a bad idea. Michael, it's great to talk to you as always. Thanks for joining us again for this special edition. (laughs) Always fun.